So before we start, um, I was just curious, who's the smartest person here? Who do we think is the smartest person? Seriously, though, like I, obviously it's me. I'm pretty high profile when it comes to that. But I'm going to give somebody else a chance. Who is the smartest person in this room? Theo. Do we have any nuclear physicists? Any nuclear physicists? Andrew, what are you? A nuclear physicist? I know what you want. You don't have to, I know you're a human, but what are you? What do you do for a living? You're a physicist. We all just voted you're the smartest guy in the room. Can you believe that? Well, you're, you're the smartest guy in the room. Is that cool? Again, besides me, you're the smartest guy in the room. Besides me. A little lower than me. I'd I be smart, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Don't be mad, but I'm going to give you some equations on this screen that you have to solve in front of everybody. Don't be mad about that, cool? Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, Ryan, I forgot you were here too. Mm. Okay. All right, the first equation. Can you make two plus two five? So the smartest guy in the room says no. You cannot make two plus two five. I was really worried there's some sort of algebra <laughs> mechanics where you could do it, and it got me really freaked out. Okay, so you're saying no. Did you, Byron, did you see that? Okay, good. Everybody's real lively today. Here we go. Next equation. Can you draw a circle with sharp edges or corners? Draw, try it with your hand. Try it. You're not even going to try it? There it is. You can't do it. I knew you couldn't do it. I knew I saw it. You couldn't do it. Okay. The last question I have for you, and this is for everybody, is can, this is the last equation, but can God create a rock so heavy that what? He himself. Oh, my gosh. I'm gonna, mm. Can God create a rock so heavy that he himself cannot lift it? What do you think? We're getting a yes over here. You're not going to like my answer, whoever yelled yes. Anybody? <laughs> So that, sorry, whoever's over there, I love you. I don't know who you are, but I love you. But this is commonly used, the sort of idea of the stone. This is commonly used as ammunition by atheists to shoot holes in theist's idea of God's existence and his ability. When you come down to God lifting stones. And when a church community, us, we, is taking our sweet time to do a series on faith, God's existence and his ability is of our highest importance. And what we just went over were contradictory impossibilities. Contradictory, contradictions, they're impossibilities. Those three that I just threw at you, I'm sorry, I, I, did, I did that, okay? Now, what often invades the Christian mind and disrupts faith is the thinking that to believe in God and even the actions of those in Hebrews chapter 11 is to believe and contradictions. And I'm just here to say, friends, that is sloppy thinking. That is blind rationale. Today, I hope we walk away from, you know, today's Sunday or today's at least, you know, our, our service gathering today with the awareness of faith in mystery or faith in paradox. The late Christian philosopher Gordon Clark once defined a paradox as a Charlie horse between the ears. And faith and paradoxes have a legitimate role and function in our following of Jesus. See, where they are difficult at first glance and seem to be contradictions, under closer, closer scrutiny, resolutions are found. 
Again, why I'm bringing all this up by way of introduction is because our ability to know what God can do and what God won't do greatly inspires the type of faith he wants instilled in Christians. Okay? But if we say no to an almighty God, that he can't do the paradoxically impossible, then that is a one-way ticket to Painville. But if we say yes right now, if Christians in the room are saying yes, God can do the paradoxically impossible. If we say yes to that, then, well, holy smokes, that has incredible implications on our life, our suffering, our budgets, our relationship, and of course, our faith. And that's exactly what we're here to see today. As you just read, or Katie just read so wonderfully, we see hidden deep within the Old Testament, there is a woman and there is her God. And what we're going to look at today is that there is this like dance between the two. God and she go back and forth and they go up and down on this very philosophy of am I capable? Am I capable? Can I do what God asks her again and again and again? And this woman spends all of, her t- all of her life and all of her time trying to get to the point where her faith outweighs her fear or frustration or disbelief. Well, you're going to see with Sarah, ultimately, her disdain for ministry and for mystery and for a paradox is so visceral and so fierce that God in the Old Testament has to come down himself and say some sharp, sharp words straight to her heart. Those words being what we just read, Genesis 18, 14. And these are the crux of our entire morning where God looks at her in the eyes and he says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Church, do we see that how we answer this question changes the very fabric of our everything? It has influence with every corner of our lives. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? For those here unfamiliar with this woman, as I've said her name, as we've read, her name is Sarah, and she is a stunning, stunning figure within the Bibles that you are holding. Out of Hebrews 11, she is only one of two women named, which doesn't lessen her impact, but for what it's worth, Sarah is mentioned more times in Scripture than any other woman, even Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she is up there with these legendary mothers, Eve, the mother of humanity, Sarah, the mother of God's people, and and, uh, Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus, a birth so impactful that it splits the time period of humanity in half. And for what it's worth, Hebrew legend ranks her up there right next to Eve. There's Eve and there's Sarah. And she was regarded as one of the most attractive and perfect women who ever lived. In fact, the book of Genesis also shows us that Sarah was a woman of such remarkable beauty, it was actually dangerous. She was so pretty, it was dangerous. She was so stunning that every king and pharaoh and peasant wanted her. I struggle with this too. I am so hot, it is dangerous. Like, you guys shouldn't even be here. And Sarah remains one of the most important female figures in world history. She is a matriarch. She is a fighter. She is a pilgrim. She is a juggernaut. She is a wife, but she is not a mother. She is barren. And yet her story revolves around the first detailed birth story in all of the Bible. How is that possible? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? But before we go too far, 
I just at least want to settle the waters with this, that not being able to have kids is not like today's L.A. culture. Sarah wasn't trying to advance her career. She wasn't trying to, like, I'm going to wait till I'm, like, 45. And there's nothing wrong with that. Easy emails. There's nothing wrong with that, but she wasn't going to do that. Her ever undying wish for Sarah was to be a mother. It was to be a mother. For some women here, that is your eternal dream as well, and it's a very, very noble one. But for Sarah, not being able to have kids in that time, in that culture, would have been catastrophic. What that means for Sarah and her husband, Abraham, and if you don't know this or do know this or not, but his name means father, so there's sort of an ouch moment there. He can't have kids. But if you're not able to have kids in that time, it means that you have really no legacy. There's no future. There's no one to care for you. There's no one to pass on fortunes or traditions. So in their mind, they were, they had or possessed a shameful existence. Sarah and Abraham had a shameful existence. They were aimlessly wandering. I wonder how many in this room feel that same way this morning. But to make matters worse for Sarah and wonderful at the same time is that God made a promise to this barren woman that being in Genesis 12 verse 2 that he promises I will make out of you, out of you a great nation. So it's not even bad enough that she can't have kids. She is told that she will eventually have kids. And this is what Sarah has been living off of. A promise with zero fulfillment date. It's like a package with no tracking number, right? Has anybody seen that new Amazon feature where you can actually track how many deliveries it has till it gets to your door? Has anybody seen that? It's incredible. Like my son will order something online and he'll literally just watch it go from house to house with a laptop open like this. It's amazing. It's almost here, two houses away. Like it's incredible. We get so jazzed. We get so jazzed because our minds are fixated, not on the truth that we'll get something, but when, when we'll get something. So for Sarah, who was much older, who was way past the years of child producing a child-producing age, to her, she has expired. She feels expired. She feels forgotten. She has no tracking number. So let's ground this mystery, this paradox, even more. I want everybody to really sit with this. Friends, Sarah is extremely old. She is old, most likely frail, with graying hair, potentially walking with a cane or a staff, She loves little packaged caramels. Like, she loves sitting out in the sun. Sarah is a much older woman. If you want to let this sink in even more, imagine you just found out your great-grandmother just got a pee in the pod. Just imagine that, okay? Everybody get that in your brain. Imagine your great-grandmother and this. Can you imagine, please? It's laughable, right? Now, can you imagine your great-grandmother's, like, gender reveal party? Like, on Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) But if that doesn't get us, if that doesn't frame our reference of what we need to know, maybe this will. I stumbled upon a picture on the internet. Whether it's real or not, it doesn't matter because the picture is all we need. Derek, this is it. This is real. If everybody can't see because of the blue light, that's a little baby. She's holding. I want everybody to see this. Sit with this. This is happened in April, where a nine-year-old woman gave birth to a nine-pound baby boy. 
This is an Italian woman who went to Turkey for an illegal, controversial surgical operation, which was carried out in a private clinic, resulting in a son. Crazy. Colleen, you see this, right? You're freaking out. I see your face. Pick up your jaw, girl. Like, I see it. What this image does is it gives us perspective because this should upset our our equilibrium. This feels unnatural. You know what this feels like? A contradiction. This feels like a contradiction. But this is Sarah and this is her son. And the more we study Hebrews 11 and these 16 individuals, it seems that when it comes to this Christian life, God always prefers the impossible over the possible. Always. God is rarely, rarely, or if at all, does he ever choose the shortcut. God never chooses the lidded, lit path. God never chooses the easy route or the comfort trail. God prefers the options with our lives that are the most spectacular. And because of that, Sarah is a prime example of our expected and natural responses to the, mystery, uh, the mysteries uh, 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 and the nature of a paradoxical faith. Meaning she does what all of us in this room will do if we were told about the mysteriousness or given a promise. She does it. And I want to highlight two of them. First, Sarah's told at age 65, girl, you're getting ego, prego. She was told at age 65, over a decade, Nothing happens. We have a hard time waiting 10 seconds for a YouTube ad to end, and she has to wait 10 years. And it's at this time when her patience begins to rust that she does what all of us would do and all of us want to do. Sarah makes a fail safe. Meaning she stepped ahead of God and tried to handle his business with her own strength and her own determination. She was in a hurry, but God wasn't. God wasn't opening the door, so she broke a window. Another way you could say it is Sarah made an escape hatch. Here's how. Genesis chapter 16 should be on the screen. Verses 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And right there, we're thinking, there's no way Abram's going to do this, right? And Abram listened to Sarah. Sarah's thinking, hey, Abram, Hagar is young. She's fertile. Sleep with her so I get what I want. Justify the bad means for a good end. She's thinking that God will deliver on his promise through a possible means. And sure enough, Hagar, Hagar's pregnancy test is positive when Abraham is 86 and she is 76 years old. And sidebar, the results had a long-term negative effect upon these families where the descendants of Hagar and the descendants of Sarah were forever at odds. And all of this, all of this escape hatch was through a natural means, a more expected means. This is what we want. This is what we do. This is what we hope for. Many of us are guilty that we'd prefer a less spectacular route, right? Less slow, less public, less expensive, more church community easier. Make friendships faster. Make suffering simpler. 
Make singleness better. Make wanting faster or make waiting shorter, make suffering lighter, whatever it could possibly be. But each one of those requests that's embedded in our heart is not the desire for a greater warranted certainty, which is how we're defining faith, warranted certainty. It's not asking for a greater faith. It's asking for a more certain outcome. It was Emerson who said, trust thyself. Every heart vibrates to that iron string. Trust thyself. I could not agree more with his sentiment. Our hearts reverberate to the ironclad string of do whatever it is you need to do. Or if we wanted to say it very Los Angelesly, you do you. You see, the, the Bible, when this goes to the extremes, calls that sin. That being our natural curvature. And if one doesn't believe that, and you're probably sitting here now potentially going, nah. I'm going to say gently but firmly, it's because that iron string is wound that much tighter. See, we are gods in our own eyes, doubting anybody can but us. Now, if anybody's going to come through, it's going to be me. The church can't, the Bible can't, they can't, authority figures can't, and ultimately God himself can not. Hence, to step ahead of God is to do what? To step around God. God, you are in the way. And if you notice, that is what Sarah did. She removed God's part of the equation. Again, this replaces warranted certainty in God and puts it in ourselves. Now, I want us to see God's response to all of this. Pay close attention, because this is wild. This is beautiful. The immediate following chapter with the whole Hagar situation, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you will greatly increase your numbers. Are you watching what he did? This is the first time in the book of Genesis we see the God Almighty. This word, this name, this title is used. And it's used to describe his almighty power and his almighty personhood. This is the first time it's used in Genesis. It's that setting in. God is using this name, not with an aspect of creation, not with an aspect of an incredible flood, but with a baby. Let me tell you I'm God Almighty with a baby. I love it. He's extremely showcasing his identity. Now, 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, watch this. He doesn't crush her after the whole Hagar situation. He doesn't end her. God doesn't say, fine, stupid. He doesn't do any of that. The Lord actually changes her identity from Sarai, which means striver, to Sarah, which means princess. She just got done doing what seems to be probably the biggest downfall in her life. And he goes, no, no, I'm going to call you princess. That's my new name for you. So get this. God's identity reaffirmed in that moment changes her identity. God's identity reaffirmed, hence her identity redefined. God changes her character, not yet her circumstance. 
Friends, holy smokes, this is what we need to get. Because it's in that portion of mysterious faith, it's right there in that moment that we need to eat up with a spoon. This illustration maybe will help. I'm going to flesh this out. There's this incredible little teeny story about a man named John who traveled like 8,000 billion kajillion miles to go meet Mother Teresa. All he wanted to do with Mother Teresa was one thing. Please, Mother Teresa, pray for me. I just want, to, I just want you to pray for me. I spent all this money, spent all this time. I just want a single prayer from you. And Mother Teresa's like, yeah, dude, totally. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. You know? So she's like, yes. And she, he goes, I've got a, a lot of stuff coming up in my life. I've got some very big decisions. I would love, Mother Teresa, if you could pray over me uh, for clarity. Mother Teresa goes, oh, no, I will not pray clarity over you. And John is his name, and he goes, what? No, I don't think he did that, but whatever, I don't know. I'm trying to liven the story for you guys. <laughs> she goes, and this is her exact words, she goes, absolutely not. Clarity is what you're clinging to and must let go. I will pray for a great faith over greater clarity. Mm, MT for the win. Maybe this quote will also help flesh it out. This quote is beautiful. It has some traces of this with the whole story. It says, if you wish to know how things come about, desire not understanding. Ask for grace, not instruction. The groaning of prayer, not diligent reading. The spouse, not the teacher. God, not man. Darkness, not clarity. Not light, but fire. Is it behind me? Good. Go everybody tattoo that on your face today because this is epic. Obviously, this needs balance, but the marriage of mystery and faith more often than not will always feel counterintuitive. It will always feel as a waste of time. It will feel as if it's breaking our sense of practicality. And to embrace faith over clarification is a clinging to God, not a clinging to circumstances or outcomes. Watch how Abraham responds to this. Verse 16, he goes, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give her, I'll give you a son by her. This is God talking to him. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. What does God do? He does what he does on a lot of our lives is he closes our exit doors. Nope, 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 nope. You're going to cling to me. See, he's saying this will happen through your barren wife. This will happen, Abraham, through the impossible. Verse 17. Look at Abraham's response. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who was 99 years old, bear a child? Abraham is at his wit's end. And all he can do, because he's so fed up, is he just laughs, a real LOL. He falls on his face. Unbelievable. See, friends, like laughter and hysteria, it's often this mechanism for complex situations in our life, right, of, 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 of ambivalent feelings. Like all we can do is laugh. Our brains cannot comprehend, so we just laugh. <laughs> this is exactly what Abe does. And now, what Sarah does. 
So first, she approached the ministry with escape hatches, and the second thing she does, is she, this is our natural response, is she approaches it and finds it absolutely ridiculous. She finds God's promises ridiculous. Genesis 18, if you read it and you're part of our Bible reading plans or in our discipleship groups, you read, at least to me, one of the raddest encounters in all of the book of Genesis. Isaac, right? Do you agree? It's seriously one of the raddest. 14 years after Abraham loses it and he gets his laugh on, something happens. 14 years later, something happens. Someone mysterious shows up in the mystery. Genesis 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks. Most scholars and theologians lean lean towards this being Christ incarnate. It's also called a Christophany. I too take this stance. And as Christ is there chatting under the tree in the heat of the day, and all of them are just sort of hanging out, and they're leaning on the oak trees, and they're just doing and shooting the breeze or whatever, Jesus sees something or he overhears something in the tent and he hijacks the conversation and he basically says this. Look at verse nine. He hijacks the whole conversation. He goes, and said to them, this is Jesus, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, well, she's in the tent making you tuna sammies and and lemonade, Jesus. Verse 10, and the Lord said, I will surely, surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. How is not everybody just kicking their chairs up right now? Why isn't Andy throwing things at the light bulbs? Aren't we freaking out? Why aren't we going nuts? Sarah was just given a tracking number. Decades and decades has passed, and she's been given a delivery date. This is huge. You think Sarah's just going to, like, kick open the tent door and go running out over the moon and be like, Jesus, yeah! Like, we just got to be freaking out. Man, this is so great. I know for a fact she's pumped. Look at verse 12. She's going to be so pumped. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Some of you all know what that means, okay? She says, ha, now you're going to do it? She goes, ha, I'm too old. And he's for sure too old to make this happen. She goes, ha, intimacy isn't even happening right now. That's what she's talking about. So she says, all of this is hilarious. That's what she says. Friends, if you're noticing, Sarah is at the absolute peak summit of her disbelief. She has reached the summit. After years of not working through the heart of her issues, it led to a total lack of faith. That happens to us. If we do not deal with it, we will grow or decay like Sarah. So much so, the original language showcases that this is a laugh of mockery. Ha, ha, ha. She's believing that a paradox is a contradiction, and her laugh is one of absolute disbelief. In the face of the incarnate God, she disbelieves. And this mysteriousness is so great that it forces her to either grow her faith or to let it go. She is at the breaking point. Will I grow my faith or will I let it go? 
So then, with that collective church, talking to you now, breaking the fourth law of this text, I wonder if whatever is most laughable of ideals or opportunities in our life is exactly what the Lord has for you. You want me to give that much? Ha! You want me to forgive that much? Ha! You want me to love that much? You want me to show up that much? Laugh, laugh, laugh. It's in the ridiculous mystery where we discover that the reasons that God chooses the path of the impossibility. He aims to show you and to show me that there is nothing too difficult for the Lord. Thus, believe me, there's nothing too difficult for me. Thus, have faith. There's nothing too difficult to me. Will you give me a chance? Sarah, you are completely incapable, and I, as God, am fully capable. So much we get that backwards, thinking God is incapable. And because, and this is crazy, she doesn't believe that, I want us to see Jesus' response. Look at verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did Sarah laugh? Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Oh, snap. Like, he just straight up heard her. Like, run, Sarah. Verse 14. Is there anything, here's our crux, too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah does what? Straight up denies it. Liar. But to be fair, wouldn't we all do it? Denies it. Do you see what's happening here? This is beautiful. It's like the Lord saying, because he's like entertaining this idea with her. He's looking, he's talking, he goes, don't you dare forget this moment. This. Don't you forget it. When she was reminded of who he was, is there anything too hard for me? When she was reminded of that, then all of a sudden she starts to backtrack. And he sees the backtracking and the Lord is concreting this moment saying, don't you forget, don't you forget. Don't you forget that I work, that I, God, work in your faithlessness. I can work in a barren womb, and he's also saying, I can work in a barren heart. And then it seems that there's almost this conversion moment with Sarah. Before she has, before she has a new birth in her womb, she has a new birth in her heart. Hebrews 11, per usual, is our answer key. Watch how Hebrews 11 connects this. It ties all these moments in beautifully. Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. And when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, ouch, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Remembering the faithful God that there's nothing too hard for him is like a defibrillator to her heart. I love this verse from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. It says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. See, once we're settled on who he is, creator of the cosmos, then God helping me make rent doesn't seem that hard. So if God can do this in the heavens, then can God provide peace in the midst of childbearing? Can God provide resolutions for a thriving single life? 
Can God provide reconciliation or a way out or a way in? Yes. And he does that whether there is failing faith or, or, or prevailing faith. Sarah's life of faith, if we're honest, is a total freaking joke. If we're honest. It's actually a testimony of disbelief. And yet she is immortalized in the rock of fame, which does not make a lick of sense to any of us here. I guarantee probably most, if not all of us, have more faith than Sarah. So I don't get it. Abel I get, Enoch I get, Noah I get. Sarah? I mean, let's face it, the hall of faith, that is Hebrews 11, really should be called the hall of the faithless, if we're honest. So why in the world is she a part of the 16? That if you, is, is it proving to us right here in 2018 that if you have enough faith, you'll be able to have a baby? Right? Congrats, Jack. If you have enough faith, you can have a baby. Like, I don't, is that what it's talking about? No, the lesson in Hebrews regarding Sarah is one of the final things said about her life in all of the Bible, and it commends her as have, having concluded her life in triumphant faith. Sarah is listed as a striking reminder that God can take out a little teeny single thread of faithfulness and write it down forever. There's a little bit. I'm going to immortalize you because of this little teeny bit. God doesn't use measuring cups to measure our faith, and surely he does not use measuring cups to give out his grace or goodness. Showing us, showing you, collective church, there's never a wasted, a pointless, a disregarded, a useless faith. So then, collective church, sometimes our faith will waver and crack and leak and crumble, but God and his fulfillment do not. We have to stop measuring his faithfulness by our faithfulness. We must stop. It's the hall of faith because of God's faithfulness. This is a list of 16 times God's faithfulness has shined ever so brightly. Be encouraged, Collective Church, if you're here and you're just not feeling it, and I have those conversations with many people in our church, just kind of over it, broken, tired, making fail-safes, as much as you may be over it, God is not. God is not through with you. In fact, I would love for every one of us to view our weak moments of faith when we stumble and fall, that it only builds a greater faith. It only builds because we are clinging to the certainty of God. So, in closing, I thought it only seemed right to actually read the birth account of Sarah after all this, after all these escape hatches and LOLs. I just want to read these couple short verses that everything we've been building towards. So Genesis 21. Really soak up Genesis 21, verse 1. Soak this up. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. All she had to go off of for the last half of her life was his word. As he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah, as he had promised. Sit with that. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of a son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him. See that? Mm -hmm. Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh 
over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Friends, to name a child Isaac is one of the most beautiful aspects of the jewel that is the redemptive purposes of the gospel nature. Why? Because God commanded, God commanded, God commanded them to name their kid Isaac, which means laughter. Genesis 17, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. This is God's ruling. This is what the God of the Bible does. He transforms bitter, cynical laughter into real joy. Do you believe that? What's more impossible than having a baby at 90 is us believing that we can turn in and of ourselves pain into purpose or bitterness into beauty or failing marriages into restoration, hatred into hospitality or laughter, or excuse me, languish into laughter. Sarah and Abraham are cautionary tales to all of us that despite whether or not we get what we wanted, it's not enough. Some of us are thinking right now, will I get what I want? Will I not get get what I want? Nonetheless, it will not be enough to change you, to save them, or to bring an everlasting joy. And the coming of a son for them was only a hint to the supreme son, the supreme Isaac, Jesus Christ, who came to deal with our supreme problem and that being the inability to trust and know God, the real him, the almighty God. See, I, I want to always ask the question, do you know him today? But sometimes that falls on deaf ears. What we need to start asking each other is, do you know him how he wants to be known? Sarah would say, yes, I know God. Do you know him how he wants to be known? Almighty. And what the gospel and what communion does and what the preaching of God's word does is make sure that we never forget that. But if God supplied his son, the ultimate son of promise, then there is nothing he won't give for us. Christians, there's communion up here on my right and on my left. Stack cups, come get it when you're at your ready. And then I would also just encourage, as we so strongly encourage each and every week, is that you would seek out prayer, that I would seek out prayer. Not for our prayers to be answered the way we want exactly or how we want them to be exactly or when, but we would not just go up and say, give me clarity. Can you imagine if lines in this church were lined up for prayer because we were asking that God would give us a greater faith? What would that do to this community? That would change us from the inside out. That would radically transform us. So take the next few minutes. Discover in your life there's something seemingly ridiculous, challenging, or mysterious that God may have for you and ask yourself over and over and over and over, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Amen? Let's pray.